Just to begin by saying, as I sat down here this evening, I had one of those experiences where, um, you know, having lived here and taught here for almost seven years, of having sat up here so many times before and something seemingly so familiar and at the same time feeling like nothing was familiar. Everything seems so different. And it, it touches a little bit upon the theme of tonight's talk, which is really about stepping out of our comfort zone. As I reflected on you know, what I could see in the past year of my life that uh, I might share with you that might connect something with your own experience, one aspect that has been reoccurring over and over throughout my year is that of being out of my comfort zone, of having left you know, quite a wonderful life here and stepping out into the world you know, after 15 years of being here and just facing very new situations, very new way of life. Um, and so many times it's like just feeling like I was really in the unknown. Uh, and just the effect that it has had on me. And then the aspect that I, I thought I would particularly share tonight, which I think is very tied to what you're doing here, was at one point last fall, I went on a spiritual pilgrimage. And I think that this pilgrimage relates very closely to coming on to retreat. So I want to begin by just sharing something of that journey with you. This pilgrimage it was with my teacher, Mingyur Rinpoche. You know, he is a young Tibetan Lama. He's in, only in his mid-30s, but you know, just a, a truly remarkable being. And he was going to take this journey of hiking into his birthplace. He hadn't been in there for 26 years, and he was going to revisit and at the same time that he was going there, his brother, who is also a Rinpoche, a teacher, was going to fly in, and his mother and his grandfather, who is also an extraordinary being. You know, it's really a family of extraordinary beings. And he had uh, made the decision that some people would be able to accompany him. And so I had been inspired to do this. First of all, because uh, to walk in the mountains is for me a form of practice that has dated back to my discovery of meditation. And, you know, in my earlier life, I often felt like the mountains were my first teacher. And then walking in them really became a practice for me. And certainly, if you've ever walked much in the mountains, you know that um, you know, it's not just a really nice experience, <laughs> that it comes with all kinds of challenges. And this is something that I think is really key. Like any spiritual pilgrimage is not going to be a picnic. And if it's a picnic, it's probably not a spiritual pilgrimage. Because, you know, it really is. These are journeys that take us out of our comfort zone. And this is really what the Buddha did, you know, when he left home, left behind that which was known to him. You know, he, he put aside what was known and stepped into the unknown. 
And doing so, I think what makes it a spiritual journey is that we, <laughs> we knowingly, willingly undertake this journey. You know, it's not like we're thrown into something. But, but there's some pull, there's some call, there's something in us that says that, you know, for whatever reasons, we might feel trapped in the world in which, the way in which we're living, and feel like we really need to step into something different. Sometimes, you know, there's something really inspiring about what pulls us there. I mean, this was the case with this journey, that for me it was this combination of practicing in a way that I feel like has taken me, has, has really made me at times totally rely on my practice and the sense that without that practice I would not be sitting here today. You know, some of the challenges that I've faced uh, through walking in the mountains. And then also for me, this particular journey was about doing it with my teacher. You know, doing it with a being who totally inspires me. And I also know that he shares the same love of the mountains. So for me, you know, when I heard about it, it was like, oh, <laughs> you know, talk about wanting. <laughs> it was filled with wanting, really wanting to be there. And, you know, for many of you, you know, the decision to come on retreat, you know, there, there's something that says, this is important, this is meaningful. I'm going to make decisions in my life that will have ramifications. You know, we don't do these things and it's like the rest of our life doesn't feel it because we are gone from that situation. We are in a totally different environment. People that are used to our being there every day don't see us. It has an impact on their lives. And yet, it's something that is meaningful to us because we've done it. We've put ourselves here. So, in in a certain way, Often, these spiritual pilgrimages, these, you know, going on retreat, there's really a sense of moving into alignment with some value we have in our hearts. And that can bring with it, you know, a whole flood of inspiration. It can bring excitement, enthusiasm. Uh, You know, it can bring forth a lot. It, It can bring forth a lot of fear, anxiety. You know, because we do know that in doing something like coming on retreat, we are letting go of a lot of the sense of control that we have in our lives at home. You know, that we put ourselves in a position where we can't, you know, in our rooms we have some control over the temperature, but we can't control the temperature in here. We can't control the food that we eat. We cannot control our neighbors and how they behave. You know, that there's just so many things that are out of our control. And, you know, that we decide that we're going to let go of that sense of control. And we're going to come and put ourselves in this position. So for me, a part of you know, letting go of control of the way I like to do things was the first aspect was he was happy to have some people come along. And that amounted to about 40 people. 
You know, and I do really good in small numbers. <laughs> and I think that's why I loved it here for so long. You know, and to be walking through the mountains with 40 people. <laughs> well, fortunately, we broke into two groups. So we were only 20 people in a group. So it was a little bit less intense. But, you know, so here we were, all of these people heading off into the mountains. And I know that at my age in life, that going walking in the mountains is not going to be the same as when I was 25 years old and walked in the Himalayas. Now, at 25 years old, I had a body that could pretty much support me. And always now, when I go on a trek, it's like, what will happen with the body? I have no idea. No, and each year it's like there's back problems, there's knee problems, and it's like, you know, I often am, am I crazy? Should I really be doing this again? I made it through the last time, but it doesn't mean I'll make it through this time. So there's, you know, some level of fear and anxiety. You know, and that, that could very well have been the case for you in coming here. That even when we've done hundreds of retreats before, I mean, when we've done hundreds, we really know there's no certainty as to how it will unfold. Our last retreat could have been the most calm, peaceful, tranquil retreat we've ever had, and we can come and it's complete turbulence. I mean, that is the nature of these journeys. That is what happens. And so, you know, I could see that with my body. And so, again, there was some trepidation. And, you know, there had been some attempt to prepare myself, but due to the busyness of my life, I knew it wasn't what it should have been. And, you know, it did cause some, um, some struggles along the way, really having to deal with the aches and the pains and not having properly broken in my boots, the blisters, the toenails, you know, I just, you know, I've lost three since. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's painful to walk when every step, you know, there's something grating. And, you know, but this is, this is something I was quite familiar with. How does this become practice? No, it's not easy, but there is a way that I know I can do it. I can be present with it. And, you know, it, it wasn't by, in any way, overwhelming. It was, it was more of the known uncomfortableness of these journeys. Um, part of my role was to be at the back of my group and to help people who were having difficulties. And so that meant I got to walk slowly. And secretly, I was very happy about that because I didn't think I could walk fast. <laughs> but so I, I was just able to be at the back and to to be able to just hang out with people in difficulty. You know, people I, I could see. You know, I could watch. Sometimes, just to take that next step, took everything in them. And sometimes they needed to pause, to rest, to take that that next step. And I know in my own heart what that's like. And I know that you come up against this mind that says, I cannot do it, it's too much. And that there you are, night is coming, and you have no choice. You have to keep going. 
you have to keep on going. And when you're doing this with a group, what you do affects the whole group. And you see it has ramifications. And you know, part of that helps give you courage. And sometimes it feels like pressure. What if I can't make it? What if I have to bail? And so, you know, to just be with people who are really hitting edges and just being reminded of what that was like. And then one day I did hit something of my own edge. And it was a a familiar theme to this year. So here I had been walking up with this one group. And it had been really quite wonderful, you know, bonding with everybody, getting to know them. You know, the group found its own way of doing things, of moving. And within that, there was some degree of comfort, things becoming familiar in an unfamiliar world. And uh, then one day, a woman got sick, and she couldn't go on that day. But she was convinced if she rested, she'd be able to go on the next day. So I needed to stay back with her. I had a day of rest, which was quite lovely. But in the letting go, I had to let go of being with my partner, who was in the first group. Um, I had to let go of you know, being with these people that I began to bond with, just the familiarity, and just to let go and sit and wait for the next group to come and to be with this woman that maybe she'd get well, maybe she wouldn't. So, you know, when the next group arrived, at first it was so wonderful to see them. Because we had all started out as a group. We'd met together in um, Boda in uh, Nepal and had spent a few days together. So many of these were people that I actually knew quite well. And so just in seeing them, it was like seeing long-lost friends and, you know, just greeting everyone, hugging everyone, because I was unexpected, you know, and it was a complete joy. But then their group dynamic was so totally different. The way they did everything was so different. And they already had two group leaders. They didn't need me to have a role in the group. And then suddenly I was just feeling like I was in a place of uncertainty, You know, and it it was no longer familiar. It was no longer comfortable. And it was just like, just watching what the mind does in those situations. How, you know, it can turn to trying to find a habit, a way of being. You know, trying to find something that feels more comfortable. Or then, you know, just hanging out in a space of uncertainty. And, you know, seeing, can I be okay in this place? It wasn't, didn't have that sense of, um, you know, sometimes, like when I physically have felt on edge, which I will actually come to in a minute, where your life feels on the line. It wasn't that kind of feeling, but it was more, you know, bringing up all of, um, around social behavior, and just feeling like whatever, whatever norms had been there were gone, and just feeling very unfamiliar. But then as we went on, that's when my body did hit another edge. 
And it was as the altitude started to take hold, that the last day of hiking up, we were going to, the, uh, the town or village that we were hiking to was at 11,500 feet. And in my mind, this was not a big deal because uh, a year and a half ago, I'd flown into that altitude and then trekked up from there. So this is eight days walking in. The body can acclimatize. What's the big deal? But that wasn't what the body was doing. It was saying, wait a minute, this is a big deal. We don't have a lot of oxygen and I can't support you in the way that you'd like. So as I was walking, you know, it became harder and harder. And, you know, I was just barely moving. And again, you know, you have to keep going. You have to keep going. And so people around me certainly helped, you know, by taking, there was a guide who took my bag, carried my bag for me, you know, and he was just keeping an eye that I was okay, which had a, a level of comforting to it. And then, um, it was interesting. I arrived in the village, and so my husband was there to greet me. And, you know, he saw that I was cold, I was tired, and, you know, I had been sweating from the, you know, just the exerting myself, getting up there. And where we were now, it was late in the year, so as soon as the sun goes down, it gets really cold immediately. And so, you know, he just knew I needed to change my clothes. So he, in all his great kindness, hands me this pile of clothes. And by then, my mind was so confused. I looked at these clothes, and it was like, what am I going to do with this? You know, and I, I couldn't figure out what, what order I needed to do things to put the clothes on. I was just in this massive confusion. And he, meanwhile, had disappeared. And so there I sat alone with the, on the, I remember sitting there on the edge of my bed with this pile of clothes beside me and going, hmm, <laughs> this is interesting. What do I do here? And, you know, then I just went to something that we do over and over in practice. It's like, okay, just go step by step. And so it was just like looking. Okay, my, my shirt's wet. That one's dry. Okay, what do I have to do? I have a vest on. I have to take the vest off first. Okay, what do I have to do then? You know, and it was really just having to walk myself through it, step by step. And, you know, that when we get in times of struggle in our practice, that's what we come back to. You know, just being with this moment, with simplicity, and doing what we need to. Is it just to be with? Is it to take action? What is it? But we just let it become really simple. That night, it got more challenging again. As I lay down to sleep, and I felt so exhausted, the thought of sleep was so inviting that... Oh, it's just like, I remember just... Uh, Laying down, letting the body relax, you know, you know, pulling the sleeping bag over me. Because by now it's nighttime and the temperatures at night plummeted. Um, it would go down to about 8 degrees at night. And there was no heating 
and the wind would come in through the cracks in the wall. And so, you know, just being in your sleeping bag was the only place to be. And so just really happy to be there. But then just as I was about to fall asleep, there was this gasping for air. And then it was like, (laughs) being, you know, just thrown into being awake. And just seeing that, you know, the, the lungs were really struggling. That there was just this feeling like I couldn't get enough air. And then, of course, you know, the fear starts to come up. But then it's like knowing, you know, having learned so many times that this is not a moment when you can indulge in the fear. There's just no room for that because that will further contract the lungs. The, the, you know, the, it can move into terror at that point very quickly. And so it's just like knowing, okay, I really just have to be with this and just to breathe. And, and you know, every time I started to fall asleep, the same thing would happen. And then it was this feeling like I just had to be present to every breath. And having to do that throughout the whole night. And this sense that, that then that my life depended on it. And so it was, you know, really just having to be, you know, see any arising of fear when it came. And because we don't, you know, in these times, it's like you can't stop the fear from coming. But you really can work with not allowing it to overwhelm the situation. No, and so it's just like being able to see it and then to breathe, to be, to allow, to be there. And, and, you know, just, you know, again, that sense of having to be there moment by moment and really just doing the best that I could in the being there. And in, in the morning, I could recognize that, hey, <laughs> I have medication in my bag. I know I don't like the medication. I've taken it before. It's not fun in other ways, but I know it can help me. And so, you know, being able to take the medication, the symptoms were alleviated, and I could continue on. Another aspect of this journey was not just the hardship, but that which was truly inspiring. And, you know, a part of that was being with Mingir Rinpoche and just seeing him, you know, throughout these days and how open and joyful he was on this journey. To watch how his lives affected others, whether he shared many stories as we went up, stories of his childhood, of, uh, you know, he, 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 when he was a young boy, used to, each year when it became winter, he would walk out of this valley, which it took us eight days to walk into. He would walk out with his mother before the winter set in and then go back, walk in again in the spring. And so, you know, he just had many stories to share of his childhood and just imagining what it would be like to grow up in this environment, what it would grow up, be like to grow up with people who were quite realized and could uh, share their wisdom and help guide you, you know, as a young being, help shape the unfolding of your life and your mind. And, you know, just to see, oh, 
you know, to understand something of the hardships and what effect that has on one's mind. You know, he, he often talks in his own life about how when he was young, he had such strong fear. I mean, he had actual panic attacks and things like the weather could bring it on. And being there, you could see the reality of that. Being there, you could see how life-threatening the weather can be. And so, you know, it was just getting a sense of that life. And then, as we walked up, people from his village like, knew he was coming. And so, even about, I think it was four or five days from the, the, uh, into the trek, people started to arrive that had walked down to greet him and to help, you know, to help us get up. And so, you know, just being touched by their devotion... And then as we got closer to that village, there was, you know, just whole villages would come out to meet him. And just the devotion that they had, it was, it was phenomenal. One day we, we had arrived in this village before he came, and we were at a monastery up above and just looking down into the village. And... And just all of the people of the village came out and you know, were just offering just the, the humility, the devotion, what he represents in their life. Just seeing this. You know, and it was one of those truly magical moments where, so we're up in this monastery up above looking down and, and I swear there was dragons in the clouds and there was rainbows and you know it's just like oh yeah these these moments these moments just beyond what our mind can conceive happen uh, and it was, it was truly an extraordinary uh, moment um, there was also times, uh, a couple of caves that I went to. You know, one was a Milarepa cave. And I don't know if you're very familiar with the, uh, the person Milarepa, but uh, he is this very renowned master who spent years meditating alone in caves, in these remote places. And so I went to a cave after I'd been through my ordeal around breathing, lack of energy, confusion. And then when I could, you know, the next day when I could walk again, we did quite a strenuous hike up to a cave that Milarepa was said to have practiced in. And, you know, by this point, I am in survival mode know that just to make it through the coldness and just feeling when my body was cold how tight the contraction came. And then just realizing this being out of the depth of his commitment sat in this cave and practiced. Practiced to be free. Practiced for our benefit. You know, and one way I was like, oh my God, do I have what it takes? Do I have that sense of commitment? Could I really take myself this far out of my comfort zone? I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know. Right now I find myself out of my comfort zone enough in my life. I don't need to do that. But, you know, I was, I was awestruck at what it would take to sit in that cave in those conditions. 
And at the same time, I felt the blessings of his practice. I felt the blessings of what he'd realized in his life. I felt the blessings of him saying, yes, this is possible. You can do it. I did it. You can do it. I felt the stillness, the peace. I felt the willingness to go on. And the support of these beings who've walked this path before us. You know, later on in the year I was Well, that same track. (laughs) I was in another cave. Another great teacher, great master, was said to have practiced there. Guru Rinpoche. And, you know, his life affected so many lives. I mean, these were truly remarkable teachers. And sitting there, again, even higher up, (laughs) really. And this is at the, the... uh, kind of base of Mount Manaslu, which is, I think it's the eighth highest mountain. And uh, the, it, it, you're really in the mountains up there. And wow, the, the, just the, the cold coming off the glacier that's right there, you know, just, um, I don't know, again, this feeling, similar feelings. And then, you know, later going to Bodh Gaya, sitting under the Bodhi tree, knowing what the Buddha did in his life, where he left his comfort zone, he left the familiar. All of them going on this inner journey, the same inner journey that we're on. And leaving the blessings, leaving the sense of possibility, the potential. So we come here out of our comfort zone, out letting go, relinquishing that sense of controllability. Because even if we find certain ways we can be comfortable here, just the very act of looking into truth will take us face to face with the shadows in our mind, will take us into unknown territory will call upon us to look more deeply. We don't practice to stay comfortable. We practice because we have this sense of possibility, an inner resonance. In some ways we have this most remarkable homing instinct. 
know, comes from our desire to be happy. And yes, in our lives we so often seek it in misguided ways. Because we don't see clearly. But the urge itself, the call itself, it's something in us that knows. And our whole journey to discover this, to really clarify this confusion. To really allow ourselves to stand nakedly in this moment, as it is. But it isn't always so easy. You know, in moments we may have that incredible courageousness of heart that will just face whatever comes. Now, just sometimes where it's like it comes from within and it feels like it's not willed. It's not, you know, it's not contrived in any way. You know, it might have come about at times where we made radical shifts in our life. We knew we couldn't deaden into complacency. We knew we had to do that which makes us feel alive. And so we took those steps. But sometimes what comes can be truly terrifying, overwhelming. And it can come about because we're seeing what we should be seeing. But it can happen that it, you know, we aren't seeing it fully, wholly, and so it appears like something it's not. And that happens when we start to see impermanence. You know, we start to see this shifting sand of which we're building our lives. And we see that, you know, there's nothing in that that we can hang on to. And it's like, it can be scary. We don't see that actually it's really freeing and will lead us towards that which is reliable. We instead, you know, get caught in just the seeing of the impermanence and interpreting that in a fearful way. Or we start to see that all of these conditioned experiences don't satisfy us, that there isn't a lasting satisfaction in them. And rather than seeing that then we don't have to chase them, we think we either take it personally, that we're not doing it right, because we don't have the full wisdom of it, the full clear seeing of it. And and so we think something's wrong. Or we think, what's the point? There's no satisfaction here. There's nothing to get. This is, you know, it just feels like life becomes listless, dull, you know, this morbid state that we're exposed to. Or we start to get, you know, maybe our first glimpse of the insubstantial nature of experience. And with that, we get spooked. (laughs) Oh my God, (laughs) there's nobody home. You know, it's like we saw a ghost or something. And then again, you know, it's like our interpretation brings up fear. And so, you know, we really need to learn to be able to find a steadiness of mind and heart 
when the unexpected takes us off guard and we suddenly feel like we're in the ocean over our head and we don't know how to swim. You know, it's just that moment of panic that we don't know how to swim. But if we really look, if we really listen, we do know. We do know how. And that's where we come back to the basics. We come back to that, you know, our very first lesson in mindfulness, learning how to just let be. And there's a real simplicity in that. Nowhere, it's like, can we let it be? We don't have to figure out. We don't have to analyze, get caught up in, work it out. Can we really just let this be? Can we open to it? And in the opening to it, our innate wisdom can come forth. Know that a responsiveness to life can come forth. But having to learn how to do this in tumultuous waters, where we might not have any bearings, you know, where it's like sometimes you just find that You know, even as we practice, we build up concepts of how things are that help us to feel more safe. And then the practice is the peeling away of this conceptual framework so that we can actually see how things are. And as these constructs go, there's these moments where that level of certainty isn't there anymore. But that's where we can really learn to listen, to really be with a heart that maybe feels trodden on, that maybe feels collapsed, that maybe feels ah, fearful. But we learn to be there for ourselves. It's something we can learn to do. We learn to be there with interest. I mean, because the other thing is, you know, we, even when we have these moments where suddenly radi- things radically change or you know, just there's something that we're not comfortable with in some way, that we find in one moment there might be a willingness to be with it and then... We have no control, but we fall back into a conditioned way of making ourselves safe. Or we fall back in a habituated response. You know, whether it's with anger, we lash out rather than be with. Whether it's with fear, we, um, we cut off. You know, we just push it away. We, and, you know, just that sense of, I'm just going to get on with it. You know, whatever we might do, whatever our habit might be, you know, and you know, part of it is our practice is being faced with our habits over and over and over again. And how relentless that can be. I mean, that can be an edge in itself. To just see the same stuff appearing again and again. And how do we stay fresh and open? How do we keep available to learn and listen one more time as we face this? Actually, even an edge for many of us 
maybe the mundane, maybe just the sheer ordinariness of what we're experiencing. And the thought that if we don't have this sense of something being dramatic, have a sense of being at an edge, that nothing's happening, that can be our edge. You know, the edges come in many different ways. And it's really to, to see the edges is where we're uncomfortable, where it's not okay, where there's resistance. You know, it doesn't have to be something dramatic. But this is a place we can learn from. This is where, you know, our mind is not yet free. And so what we're reacting to, what we're resisting, what we're denying, what we're trying to suppress, this is what we can let be the path, be the practice. This is what we can, what we can learn to open to. This is our teacher in this moment. just looking for um, a couple of quotes. One's from Sayada Utejaniya, you know, a teacher in the Theravada tradition who's been just immensely helpful. And one of the things that I loved about, I love about him, is how he meets difficulty. You know, um, I don't exactly see where the quote is. Oh, yeah. He says, when I, see, when I have a weak point, I challenge myself. You know, so when he sees some place that throws him off, he gets interested. And this interest is really key. You know, where we're shutting down, resisting, whatever we're doing, what's happening here? You know, just having that willingness to look, to see, to be with. And uh, Mingyu Rinpoche, he says, where it is most challenging, it is the best place for practice. Now, so these challenges, this is our place of practice. This is what we can be interested in. And do it, watching how we do this, you know, having a really authentic interest, looking to see what's this not about. And, you know, not analyzing, figuring out, but just allowing it to speak to you. Now, some, some of the tangles, the knots in our lives come about from really deep conditioning. Things that may have happened in our childhood where we responded in a certain way. And, you know, we just ha- had no way of knowing how to defend ourselves, how to deal with. And so we did the best we could. And that became a habituated pattern. And then at some point, that pattern wasn't so useful. It became a prison. But in the order to let go of it, we're letting go of so much. We're letting go of any sense of security that we worked so hard to find. And it will shift when we gain confidence in mindfulness itself when we gain confidence in what these simple moments of mindfulness do. How that through these simple moments of being with experience 
as it is, we're not compounding our suffering. We're not weaving the web of delusion. We're not habitually reacting. And these moments have an impact. We start to feel for ourselves how this mindfulness is a refuge. I think I once heard Joseph refer to it, mindfulness as a life jacket. And I know that I find this true. I I really see that, you know, just the simplicity of being with our experience is so helpful. And as we begin to see the effect of it, and I know that you have all seen this, or you wouldn't do something like come here. You know, it just isn't something you would do. So these moments help us to gain confidence. And out of this confidence, out of seeing what happens when we just go to simply being present with experience, we discover this courageousness of heart that will help us in these turbulent periods, help us when times seem really difficult. What I encourage you to do in your practice is to just notice if there is any sense of complacency, because it can be that we do cocoon ourselves in practice. I mentioned this term this morning. It's where, you know, our practice is a sense of shutting down, shutting out. And really, you know, if we get smart, clever, we can we can discover some quite refined states of a type of concentration. You know, where where, you know, in that cocoon-like state, we get to some pretty pleasant states. But you know, it's just a sense of pushing away the world. And it's not a sense, you know, it doesn't have that courageousness of heart where we are looking to truth in this moment, whatever it is. And to just notice, how are we with uncertainty? You know, just discomfort in our practice. Do we just shy away from it? Do we really want to practice, you know, in a really cruisy sense, practicing where it's really pleasant? You know, and we can do that. We can really set that up here. And I'm speaking from experience. I'm not, you know, talking, responding to what I've heard people say. <laughs> I'm speaking from my own experience of, you know, just sitting, sitting till it doesn't feel good anymore. And then walking, walking where it feels nice, you know. And if it's a nice sunny day, you know, just enjoying the sunshine, riding on the energy. And, you know, there's times where that's totally fine. But there's times where I was just in cruise with it. Or, you know, um, having a cup of tea, you know, just, you know, just kind of cruising my way through the day. Which we can do. That's okay. You know, it's not like there's something horribly wrong with it. You know, it's really far better than being out there doing you know, horrendous things in the world. But it can be challenged, can be looked at. Is there anything we're avoiding? Is there anything we are not wanting to see, not wanting to touch? And, you know, we just see it in the little ways. Slight feelings of discomfort, Slight fear that, 
You know, we, if something makes us fearful, we just start avoiding it. We don't go near it. Um, just noticing. And then, you know, if we notice that we're keeping ourselves in some way in the comfort zone, just to have that willingness to sit a little bit longer, look a little bit more. It doesn't have to, you know, just to do that. Just to notice if we're keeping ourselves comfortable. And actually, in saying that, to realize that there could be people here for whom just being alive in this world right now is enough and that we might need some form of outer sense of refuge and that it might be a time where it is really right to just be here in a very easy way. This is really something we have to pay attention to. Because sometimes we, we look at those edges and sometimes we really need to find a way to help ourselves relax, to help ourselves learn to be. And so, you know, it's needing to be wise about how we practice. There isn't one way to do it. And so whether our edge is through noticing, whether there's complacency, or noticing that we are at an edge, and that, that maybe in that moment, the wisdom is to do, find some form of comfort, just to help the, the psyche, the being, the cells relax. This is what happens on these journeys. And this is a part of it. And this is okay. This is all what helps us to wake up, to discover truth. So, with wherever we are, whatever's happening, This is our journey. This is our pilgrimage. This is about our life and how we live it. And just about giving it all we've got. Which doesn't have to be an extraordinary thing. It can be very simple. It's about learning to listen to our own inner voice, our inner wisdom. We use the examples of the Buddha's journey of all of the great teachers as an inspiration. A sense of possibility. 
keeping the journey here and now with this knee pain, this judgmental mind, this restlessness, this doubt. This is our journey. This is what we can wake up to. And just resting in our intention to do so. Let it come from within. It's not a technique to be overlaid. Techniques are helpful. They guide us. Useful. But not becoming lost in them. And then we're not alone. So many people have taken this journey, are taking this journey. We feel it when we walk on this property. I remember when this hall was being built. It was in shambles, wood piles. You know, things just all over the place in here. And people came to this hall. And I'd be in here. I don't know what I was doing, but being in here. And you could hear people coming down the hallway, chat, 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 chat. And then come to the hall, and they would just stop. It was a woodpile. Went to stop. (laughs) There was a woman who came here. She was connected business-wise through IMS. And so she came to see what was happening here. And she walked into this hall when it was a shell, and she burst into tears. I mean, there's so much support here. Let yourself feel it. We got it pretty good, huh? I just wish us all well. (laughs) So let's just have a few moments of silence.
May the wholesome energy of our practice be dedicated to the peace, the welfare, and happiness of all beings everywhere. So closing with the chanting of the reflections on the sharing of blessings.